0: greeting folks i'm not really sure if i'm here uh it's a monday and uh evidently there is a, a great deal of censorship coming down um from big tech which of course is all leftist communists these days and uh, uh, uh yeah but yeah no it's, oh, it's not gonna help anything um but that's the fact and um I was just reading YouTube banned uh, Stefan Molyneux, host the largest philosophy channel on the platform. Uh, he's also, it's just, they're just calling it, the suspension comes amidst coordinated purge of dissident voices on several big tech platforms, uh, Reddit, YouTube. Um, and that's what makes our situation strange. Um I was informed this morning – actually, Samuel Say was the first one to mention it uh, in, uh, on Twitter – that if you link to the statement on social justice and the gospel – statement on the gospel and social justice uh, – and anything on that page – and I believe Samuel has some articles on that page. Maybe that's how he found out about it. I don't know. I didn't ask him about it. But anyways – Um, that um, Twitter will throw up a a warning screen on your browser uh, that this is dangerous and um, might be trying to get your your information and all the rest of this kind of stuff and your passwords and everything else. I've always wondered about Tom Askell personally. I've always thought that he looked like a cyber hacker type guy. And this may may be the final proof we needed. Um, Anyway... uh, but some folks on Twitter are saying, and I looked it up myself, um, if, you, if you go to uh, Google and search for it, uh, about the third one down is a Japanese page. Uh, some people thought it was Chinese and thought it was in Mandarin. But it's actually, according to Google, it's Japanese, but it can't translate for some reason. Somebody said it translates out to aluminum parts. Um, which are very important things, I'm sure, but have nothing to do with the statement on social justice and the gospel um so maybe what what has happened here is there's been some kind of a mess up with uh, you know a technical mess up that's been picked up by the bots and and that's what's going on um it would it would seem to me that if uh twitter wanted to get rid of any links to that statement this probably wouldn't be the way they would do it i think there's much more effective ways to do it so let's see um let, let's let's see if there's a response first of all and then when people who don't have any vested interest from one or the other are saying yeah you know i i tried to look it up and i ended up landing on this page that, you know, uh, was in foreign characters. And uh, that at least raises the possibility that it's actually just a technical snafu and uh, that it'll get fixed over time, uh, briefly, you would think. Uh, But when it's happening the very same day as all this other stuff happens, it does make you wonder. And obviously, right now, uh, is the time that a lot of people just want to pull the trigger and just start getting rid of people right and left because no one's going to... who Everyone's attention is so distracted. 47,000 different directions. Um, and everyone's sitting around going, um, can I still use whitening tooth polish... Even if I have to wear a mask, I just, I just don't know what to do anymore. That's where we are. That's where we are. Um, that's where we are. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask if I could say this, but I don't think you'll mind. I, I was up in Flagstaff last week, and uh, we did the program from up there on Thursday, I believe. And in case you're wondering, Flagstaff averages about 7,000 feet, where I say is about 7,200 feet. Um, So it's one of the only places you can go and get altitude training, even though all my rides to Colorado and Utah have been canceled. Uh, I'm still going to try to do some stuff. Anyway, uh, so I was up there. Um, That's when I get some books read, and and, um, it's also the week of my 38th wedding anniversary. 38... I realize you know we got two more years until anyone's really going to care again. That's <laughs> just you know 35 is sort of cool you know but after 30 it's only the the tens that really count after well I I figure after 50 every year counts for some things but but uh uh but yeah especially you know 36 37 38 39 is just sort of like yeah Okay, <laughs> you know, what, what are you gonna do? Uh, 40s, 40s big. I remember my parents' 40th. Um, and then, of course, 50. I mean, wow, uh, there, there you go. Um, but uh, so my wife came up and uh, uh, we. She, did, I, did I tell you that she um, ran, walked from the bottom to the top of the mountain? Yeah, yeah, she, um, she did. We did it in two parts because we went up to a certain part and then I had to go back down I was running with her and we went back down and then I did the bike and she drove back up to where we turned around and then, so she did the whole thing and I would just loop her I'd go up a little ways and come back down it was, it was fun beautiful weather and like I said it gets up to over 9,000 feet so you, you get some good altitude. Anyways uh, so she came up and I don't know if I should tell this story though because I didn't tell you this story I'll, I'll be brief, and then we'll get to important stuff. Sorry. Um, but uh, on Monday night, uh, Josh Walker, who is at, uh, at a church up there in Flagstaff, um, who was a student of mine at one point in the long, long distance pa- distant past, um, Josh and I went out, because Kelly hadn't come up yet, and uh, I set up my 8-inch mead Uh, which has really good optics on it. And we're at over 8,000 feet in a totally dark area, about 12 miles northwest sort of of Flagstaff, which is supposed to be a dark sky city anyways, but you can still see a lot of light coming from Flagstaff. But um, set up out there, a place I've set up a number of times before. I've I've taken a lot of pictures up there. And I've been trying to get a picture of Alberio. And, um, I've told the story that Jason Lyles when I got me into doing astronomy and the way he did it is yeah, he showed me Andromeda and Jupiter and Saturn and all that stuff. And all that stuff was wonderful. But one of the last things he showed us was Alberio. And when I saw Alberio and we talked about Alberio, um, when he was on just a few weeks ago, uh, I was, I was hooked. And so I've always wanted to get a decent picture of Alberio, my own. There are pictures of Alberio on the the internet. So what? I want one that I took, that my eyes saw, that my camera took, that that I did the work to get. And so I've been working to try to do that. The only way to – you can't do it in Phoenix. You can't do it in Phoenix. Sorry. Too much dust, too much light. I mean – once you see what it looks like out there, at eight thousand feet on a clear night with no moon, obviously You have to have that, um, and then compare what you've got in my backyard. It's like soup. It's like looking through soup. It's sad. You can you can you can't you can see ten percent of what's up there. Uh, it's horrible. So anyway, we got out there. We got set up, and. Alberio rises, and um, out there you can't really tell whether you got good pictures or not, because all I can see is what's on the screen. Uh, you got to get back and process them and stuff like that, and and um, so I have up, um, I think the best one that I got, and uh, so this is this is there's there's Alberio, and that's that is my work there, kids, um, Alberio is possibly a full binary. Jason uh, indicated that his study indicates it's an optical, even though the two stars are in the very same area. They may not be gravitationally bound. And it's not actually two stars, it's four, but you can't see the other two. Um, But it's just the most beautiful gold-blue binary, at least visibly binary, star. Uh, in the sky, as far as I can tell, and that's just th- that's exactly what I wanted right there. I mean, that is spot on, perfect. I mean, look at that. Um, you can you can see the blue is so much smaller uh, than than the much larger uh, gold colored star, but you can the the contrast is just stunning. And that is my camera. That's a Sony A sixty three hundred attached to a, a Mead eight inch. Um. Uh, what's the name of the oh, uh, the names it's a Russian name or something <laughs> I've forgotten the exact sorry about that I, I haven't used the phrase in a, in a few months but it's a specific kind of comma free telescope it's really nice and of course what it has to be able to do is track and so it's it's tra- it was tracking perfectly beautiful night got that picture very very happy uh, excited, so on and so forth. You can go ahead and take that down. So the next night, the next night, uh, Kelly's up, and so I was going to get some shots of the Milky Way. This is a different way of. This is different. I'm using my camera with different lenses, and it's. I'm not. I'm not even setting up the telescope. Uh, this is much broader stuff. So we get out there, and and I, I put the tripod up. It's just a little. It's not, not nothing like the one for the telescope. And all of a sudden, my wife and I look up, and this bull is walking down the road through the forest pretty much straight for us. Now, we knew that there was a, um, that there was a bunch of cattle sort of across this field, but we're sort of looking at each other, and she's, go, she's I'm going to go back to the car now. <laughs> so she's, she's standing by, by the car, and the bull sort of stops, stares at us. And then he turns toward where all the other cows are. And as he's walking, he's making the strangest noises I've ever heard. Just this... (inaudible) stuff. And I'm just like... And once he stopped, dropped down, took like a dirt bath or something, and then finally disappeared. Well, it took him so long to do that, that it was getting pretty dark by this point. And so... I'm like, okay, all right. He's he. We heard him off with his friends over there, still making these real loud noises. And then I heard something. And I had one of these, I love these super bright um, Phoenix, F-E-N-I-X, Phoenix uh, flashlights. These Cree bulbs. Oof, they're, you know, love that kind of gadgety thing. And so I, I hit it, and I'm sort of doing this number, and I stopped. Because there is a pair of eyes staring at me from not too far away. I mean, when I say not too far away, 50 yards maybe, hard to tell in the dark. And they are not close together. They're fairly wide apart from one another. And a coyote wouldn't have that large of a head. I, I think it was a wolf. What do you think it was? It was a cow. You think it was a cow? No. Mm-mm. They, they are fascinated with us. The, cat, the dogs, the, the, the coyotes, and the wolves were take off. I, I don't know. Um, I was, I had with me, not that night, I had the night before, and I forgot to bring it out, an infrared scope that I would have been able to tell exactly what it was. Um, but this thing's checking me out. And Kelly's like, okay, I'm getting in the car now. <laughs> so, And I know she ain't ever coming back out. Not, No, not tonight. Not here. No, that's that's not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. So I'm standing out there next to this thing, and I get the feeling it's getting closer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, i got to pick up this tripod, and then I've got to turn around and put my back toward this thing to get back to the car. I don't like this. So I, I tell the wife, I said, I'm taking a shot. Uh, Because I'm armed. And so I didn't try to shoot it. I tried to shoot near it, figuring between the sound, the flash, and something going thump nearby. Whatever it is, is going to go someplace else, I hope. And so I... And man, out there in the forest, it just echoes all all over the place. It really does. And so I hit the flashlight again. It's moved basically to its left... And has moved away a little bit, fairly quickly. That's why I don't think it was a cow. Um, and I saw it looking at me, and then gone. Never saw it again. So I get back to the car, and I, I get in, and Kelly's like, I'm not going out there again. <laughs> and we're, we're like, well, it's getting nice and dark now. Um, and then Kelly goes, well, this does have a moonroof, right? And I say, like, oh. Yeah, so it's got moonroof. And so we spent I don't know how long out there in pitch black in my little Subaru Forester, and I, I would put the camera up on the roof and use the roof to steady it, and was taking pictures through the moon through the moonroof. We actually sort of got up on the seats a little bit and looking around. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'd I'd do a little scan with the with the flashlight looking for looking for looking for uh, eyes. And uh, but the funny the fun the, the, you know what was really got fun we started satellite hunting. You honestly you could not go more than 2 minutes maybe 3 max until you saw a satellite. I mean it, not only is it just that pitch black and the sky was so beautiful but there we have a space junk problem. <laughs> I mean we, they're launching I showed you. I showed you the video. I think we even played the video uh, of the the 58 Starlink satellites, and they're launching 54 more next week. I don't know how many satellites are already buzzing around this uh, planet. But it's getting a little insane. Um, we're going to have to develop some kind of trash pickup service. That you, you charge all the nations on the earth that want satellite service, and, and, and then you send that sucker up and you pick up all the garbage uh, because it's, it's getting crazy up there. But it was beautiful. It was, it was, it was, it was, and that's what we did. For our 12th wedding anniversary, we had gone up to um, New River and parked car and had ridden our bikes up Five Mile Hill to, what's the name of the rest stop up there? Sunset Point. Sunset Point. And then back again. That's what we did for our 12th wedding anniversary. So for our 38th wedding anniversary, we shot at something in the dark and hunted satellites.
1: <laughs> that's. that's I, I got one word for you. And it is one word. It's not two words. It's one word. City Slicker. What? I got one word for you. It's not two words, it's uh-huh. one word. City slicker.
0: City slicker. Okay, yeah. all right. That, that's, well,
1: that's 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 what I just heard.
0: <laughs> well, hey, if you if you if you did go out there and let that thing sit there staring at you that close by while you're doing other stuff, well, okay, fine. You you you, you do that. I'll I'll do the eulogy if they can find enough body parts left. Uh <laughs> But I, I, this is a spot I've gone to six, six, seven times now, and first time I've had any wildlife issues whatsoever um, I that I know of. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've had, I've had, I have a, a lesser um, infrared too that I've used out there, and I, I didn't see, I haven't seen anything before. So, man, I wish I had had it though, because I, I would have been able to tell immediately exactly what it, what it was, but. I don't know. It didn't seem overly af- afraid of humans, but uh, the uh, the shot. I can't see a cow moving that fast. Well, it's it's no, no, there was just one. No, no, there's just one pair of eyes. There's one pair of eyes. So all, everybody's um, posting now stuff about the uh, Seho industry, Seho Kogio C- aluminum reversible turbo nozzle, bicycle storage, Yodo storage. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what comes up when you search for um, our website, uh, the uh, statement website. Isn't that great? Uh, that's 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 wonderful. Uh, so I'm hoping that's what it is. Uh, but with everything else going on, who who really really knows? I I don't know. All right, let's completely uh, change uh, topic here. Um. Now, let me make sure this is plugged in. You're going to say, what on earth are you doing? There is there is a, a purpose for this. You don't have to show this. This is all just audio. Uh, but I want to play something for you that uh, someone posted on, on Facebook, and I looked it up, and I was fascinated by it. And I just made some connections. But see if you recognize this uh, at all. So most of you probably do recognize uh, Claude Debussy's Clair de Lune, uh, one of the most beautiful compositions uh, ever. And you may be going, it sounds a little strange. This is a piano roll. And it sounds a little loud in my ear. I'm not sure if anybody can hear me or not. But um, this is a piano roll recording of... Debussy himself playing Claire de Lune but this was before you had actual audio recording it's, it's re- some, I don't know exactly how it worked but it's recording it as a piano roll I've been told there is one recording of him actually playing it that's what we would consider standard audio recording I'm, I'm not sure but what's fascinating to me is here's the guy who wrote it I uh Okay, I I I've listened obviously to many 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 uh performances of Claire de Lune. And some are deathly slow. And then some are super slow and then speed up a lot and then go super slow and and obviously there there's room for interpretation of musical things. But I've often wondered what would Beethoven, how would Beethoven have played some of Beethoven's own music? Um, how about Handel? Um, what 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 about how how useful would that be if you are seeking to reproduce the actual intentions of the person who wrote the music in the first place? Now. You, you can make a good argument I suppose you don't have to do that. That one of the beauties of music is it allows for all sorts of personal expression but you would especially think that it would be nice to know that at the start know what the author what the author was thinking what the author was hearing and then if you want to leave that and and variations on a theme and stuff like that sure, fine, wonderful, but especially with historical stuff. And as I was listening to this, I was thinking about um, a couple things. I One of the first thoughts that crossed my mind was I've said very often that when we look at early Mormon history and the teachings of the early Mormon leaders, uh, we have something called the Journal of Discourses. It's 26 volumes long, and I've, I've often used the illustration that what if we had something like the Journal of Discourses for the Apostles? What if we had 26 volumes of their sermons? Contemporaneous with the authors of Scripture. Don't you think that would be one of the primary sources we would go to to interpret what they wrote would be their own sermons? Um, we don't have anything like that. And every claim to apostolic tradition that tries to fulfill that has proven to be um, unreliable. But the reality is that when, when it comes to Scripture, we still have the original author with us. You don't have that with the music. That's just, this is sort of as close as you can get with something like that and in a fairly recent time frame, you know, just over 100 years ago. Um uh this was I think said nineteen thirteen so just over a hundred years ago. but when it comes to scripture, there are many people who would say that scripture is like a a piece of music that we can play any way we want to i do any of you remember Nah, none of you remember um all you old fogies, fogies in the uh, in in the audience, remember the Glenn Miller story. Uh, I love that that movie. That was a, that, another Jimmy Stewart classic, um, and remember how he struggled to get "Moonlight Serenade" right. And there is this one time where he saw it being performed. And it was all jazzy and this woman singing it. And he's just like, that is, that is he wrote it. And, and he's like, that's just not it's not what I was looking for. It's, not, it's not, not my sound. I'm not sure if he wrote it, but he was trying to use it as a, maybe in the movie he wrote it. I'm not sure that he wrote it in, in real life. But anyway, the idea was that he stumbled on the right sound. Because of a fortuitous accident, the guy busted his lip and he had to rewrite how and that's where the Glenn Miller sound came from. And there was a very distinctive Glenn Miller orchestra sound. Um, But the whole point is that you can take Moonlight Serenade and you can play it like Claire de Lune. You can play it very slowly and and melodically and beautifully Or you can turn it into ragtime. I suppose somebody could turn it into a rock number, I suppose. You know, you can can do whatever you want. And that's how a lot of people view Scripture. Is that... that, that, I mean, it's... And it fits with how people are viewing the Constitution today, for example. Uh, It's just this whatever you feel like type of a situation. And... Up until recent times, you, you couldn't do that and say, well, I'm honoring the, the composer's intentions. Um, you know, in recent times, you can, you can go back to who wrote it, how did they perform it, that gives you the baseline idea of what, what they intended. But when it comes to Scripture, we have an absolutely unique situation. We have an absolutely unique reality. Because, no, I can't ask the Apostle Paul um, exactly how he would have punctuated some of, I mean, there are exegetical questions that exist in some of Paul's letters where the punctuation determines whether you have a series of questions, whether you have a series of statements, is this an, uh, an objector, that Paul's responding to is—is is there sarcasm involved? There are lots of places like that. Are we left just not knowing? Are, are we left wishing that we had a recording, a piano roll of of Handel, so as to figure out some phrasing or, or speed questions in the Messiah or whatever else it might be? Are we just don't have that ability? Do we just simply have to say, well, you know, there's some things we'll just never know when it comes to Scripture? Or is there not, because of the extensive nature of Scripture, the time frame over which it is written, the breadth and scope of its address, is there not something very different? about scripture than any of these simply humanly created uh, works of music or art or whatever else it might be. And I think once you understand what Peter understood when he said that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that allows men to be men, that allows men to speak but it allows God to be the Creator. It allows God to carry them along. It allows them to speak from God. It allows you to see the kind of supernatural consistency that's not the surface level um, the surface level simplistic type of thinking that that a lot of us have seen, and become very disgusted with. It's a it's a consistency at a much deeper level, a much, much deeper level. And I think that's what we have in Scripture if we maintain our highest view of Scripture, our highest um, understanding of which everything in our society today militates against are continuing to have that level of confidence. It really, really does. that This should be something that we are aware is a spiritual battle, and we should be praying daily that the Lord would protect us in this area, because this is, once you lose confidence that there is a clear revelation from God, then Christianity is just one of a million, million, million voices that can never say anything with any kind of meaningful force can't uh, offer any questions at all. I can't offer any answers to the questions at all. I was thinking about that um, in light of a video that was posted yesterday um, by Jonathan Merritt And if you're asking why I even follow Jonathan Merritt, sometimes I ask myself that question as well. It is one of the most frustrating experiences. Uh, There are a couple of um, LGBTQ folks, and I would put him in that camp, um, that I follow on Twitter, just partially for research purposes and just partially to remind myself uh, each and every day that... Um, if we as consistent Orthodox Bible believing Christians um, live solely in an echo chamber, we will be so completely shocked when somebody kicks the door in on the echo chamber at the cacophony that comes in that we won't know how to respond. And I, I repeat to my fellow believers If you believe what I was saying earlier about the consistency of Scripture, you're in the minority. If you believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary, you're in the minority. If you believe in the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you're in the minority. uh, When it comes to the world today and even what calls itself Christianity, sadly. Um, So be aware of the fact that you are in the minority, so that when the majority comes along and slaps you upside the head, uh you're not surprised. You're going to I thought we all believed that. No, it didn't. But anyway, Jonathan Merritt posted uh, this uh, on his Twitter feed, and then he, ever since then, has been going crazy with all the responses to it. But let's... um Let's listen to what uh, Jonathan Merritt posted.
2: Good morning, church. As we approach the last week celebrating pride, may you remember that the sign over the door to God's kingdom declares, whosoever will may come. That means whether you're rich or poor, you're welcome here. Whether you are black, brown, or white, you are welcome here. Whether you are male or female, you're welcome here. Whether you are gay or straight, cisgender or transgender, you are welcome here. Your seat at God's table is not up for discussion or debate. It is ever and always yours. You are welcome, you are accepted, and you are held by the God who made you and loves you just as you are and not as somebody else says you should be. Let's worship together. So that sounds... um,
0: What what you just listened to is the voice of what is called progressive Christianity. Um, It is specifically designed to attract the culture as it exists today. You heard nothing about a cross, you heard nothing about repentance, you heard nothing about atonement, you heard nothing about forgiveness, you heard nothing about any of these things. What you heard is, you are awesome, and God's just lucky to have you as you are, and it doesn't matter. He has no moral law. He has no revelation of his holiness. All that stuff from Isaiah 6 and the holiness of God, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. God is all about you. God is all about you. That's that's what Jonathan Merritt is 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 saying. So, with that in mind, let me let me stop and start it. It's only one minute, um, so it's let me just comment on it as it as
2: it comes across here. Good morning, church. As we approach the last week celebrating Pride,
0: celebrating Pride, I I never thought that it would be a thing for. Christians to celebrate one of the seven deadly sins. Um, but there you go celebrating pride. Pride in holding and identif- identifying yourself in a way that scripture identifies as Toeva, an abomination before God. Even if you take the most um, biblically possible perspective and say that there are Christians who are put in a position by in in God's sovereignty they struggle with same-sex attraction as a regenerate believer. That just as there are Christians who struggle with other aspects of sin post-regenerationally that this is their burden to bear those individuals If they have a repentant heart, are never saying to God's word, I identify on the basis of this sin, I identify on the basis of these attractions, and you need to modify what worship is, what inclusion is, what the membership of the church is. You need to modify everything in light of me. So, the whole concept of pride is an assertion that this is a good thing. This is how God made me. It's a positive thing. This is the exact uh, rejection of the attitude that comes with broken repentance. Because from this this side's understanding, there is nothing to repent of. God made me this way. There's no there's no repentance here. There's there there can be no standards of sexual purity that are derived from scripture from that old book. Instead, now we have pride. Did you just, did you see the Chicago Pride parades yesterday? The completely non socially distanced uh, Pride parades yes yesterday in Chicago. Um, this is our this is our society. This is the Sodom and Gomorrah to which we have been called to minister. And just as the men of Sodom and Gomorrah attempted to silence Lot and his family, that will eventually happen with us as well. Um, Just
2: so you're aware. May you remember that the sign over the door to God's kingdom declares, whosoever will may come. The sign over God's kingdom says Jesus Christ is Lord.
0: The sign over God's kingdom says God created all things and therefore gets to define what all things are. The creatures don't get to do that. The sign over the kingdom of God, when it does say whosoever will may come, says must come in repentance and faith, in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ in submission to his law and what he says is good, to take the text that says, whosoever will may come, and take it out of its context and say, well, what that means is, whoever you are and whatever you love, whatever your idols are, you can bring those idols with you into the kingdom, and the kingdom will be happy to have them. That's what we got at Revoice. Revoice. That's what we got at the Revoice con- conference. That was, that's what it was all about. And so that is a horrific twisting of Scripture.
2: A horrific twisting of Scripture. It's a false invitation. That means whether you're rich or poor, you're welcome here. Whether you are black, brown, or white, you are welcome here. Whether you are male or female, you're welcome here.
0: I was waiting for the rest of the categories, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad—you gotta, you gotta give credit where credit's due. At least you didn't get, at that point, a fundamental denial that God has the right of defining who's male and who's female, but that didn't last very long.
2: Whether you are gay or straight, cisgender or transgender, you are welcome here.
0: Yeah, so there you go. You put it, you you put the, you can say the male and female, but you can't say it in our society and stay consistent with it. So here, whatever this church is in New York, I think, um, here, God's decree of male and female, God's creative action, you don't have to worry about that. You can walk through these doors, continuing in a high-handed fashion to reject God's creative decree in your life, and you're welcome here. We will not challenge you. We will not challenge you. That, that is what is, is being... So, in the church, when we speak to a transgendered person... Are we saying there is no place for them in the kingdom of God? What we are saying is there is no place for a person who identifies, who thinks that their identification is derived from such a rebellious attitude. Such a person has not repented and therefore there is no place in the kingdom of God for the unrepentant. You cannot read the New Testament and think there is a place for the unrepentant in the kingdom of God. And don't don't start playing the game of perfect repentance versus imperfect repentance. Don't even start going there. That, that's a that's a way to try to get around the reality that faith and repentance go hand in hand. So, if you want to say, well, you know, what me- are you just simply saying that you don't even reach out to these people? No, not at all. You reach out with the same message that Jesus reached out with. And it was a message of his lordship, God's sovereignty, man's sin, and man's responsibility of repentance toward God, faith in the one that he has sent, and the perfection of what he provides redemptively on the cross, which you'll notice, it's only a one-minute video, yeah, but you'll notice, you're talking about the very kingdom of Christ, you're talking about his church you're not going to get a word about the gospel not getting
2: a word about anything at all your seat at god's table is not up for discussion um what's that supposed to mean
0: it sounds like what he's saying is don't let anyone tell you about the actual message of the gospel that calls you to repentance and faith, submission to the will of God in your life. That calls you to the mortification of sin. That calls you to, to, uh, to submission to God as your creator, the one who made you male and female. Don't listen to any of that. It's all yours. It's all yours. I mean, how do you differentiate any of this from just a, a rank universalism? I, I, don't, I don't, know how, don't know how you would.
2: Or debate. It is ever and always yours. You are welcome, you are accepted, and you are held by the God who made you and loves you just as you are. There you go, not as some who loves you just
0: as you are. This is this is a fundamental, clear, unquestionable rejection. Of the centrality of repentance, of the necessity of regeneration, of the necessity of having a new heart. Does theology matter? I can guarantee you Jonathan Merritt detests the reformed doctrine of God's sovereignty and the reformed understanding of man's nature. I can guarantee you he detests it. He has said so. But here it's clear. Dead in sin? Rebel sinner? Suppressing the knowledge of God? No, no, no. You're fine just as you are. You 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 might be a, a transgendered homosexual, but that's cool. No worries. Come on in. There'll be nothing will be said to you whatsoever about god's righteous law and about who you really are and no 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 don't no no that's that's that that what you win them with is what you win them to what you win them with is what you win them to and that means you you don't you don't have to put up artificial barriers like a lot of people do you don't have to put up artificial barriers but you have to be consistent. The, the the approach that you have at the beginning can't be something that you're apologizing for five steps down the road. And I think it's where a lot of people really just don't know how to get the conversation started. It can't be here. Because if you once you accept this this type of promotion. You can never speak of the holiness of God. You can never speak of his law. You can never speak of our duties as creatures before God because you got them through the door with the promise that whatever we do, we will never challenge your sovereignty. You are the most important thing in the world, and even God thinks that. And the fact is, you are dust. You flourish for a little while, And then you fade away and you are dust. God's the only one that doesn't change. Sorry, but that seems to be what people want. They want, we live in such an infantile society today. Childish thinking is the norm now. So you can't ever offend a child. And the child has to always be the most important person in the room. All attention must be on that child. We've all seen it. We've all seen it. We've all seen how this works. But now it's all adults that are doing the same
2: thing. That's what you've got here. Somebody else says you should be. Let's worship together. Let's worship who? Let's worship
0: whom? What, what, what does worship require? Scripture says that without holiness, you'll never see God. Worship of God requires acceptance of who He is, a knowledge of His own self revelation. You invite people in like this, and they're simply going to be worshiping themselves. They've got an idol, they bring their idol with them, and they worship that idol. That's not Christian worship. That's not Christian worship. So, you know, you've got the the cool black and white thing going on, you know, and well, he um, obviously got a lot of uh, of pushback from that. Thankfully, I'm I'm, I'm glad he, he got a lot of pushback from that, as as he should have. I mean, I, he will not engage me. I'm pretty certain he sees what I have to say. He hasn't he hasn't blocked me. He says he uses the mute button a lot, which that's fine. But I've seen him respond to stuff, so I think he sees it. But he won't. He has no interest whatsoever in uh, in taking me on at all. Um, but here's a here's a tweet from this morning, and he says, um, "I am convinced that nothing." can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither fears nor t- for today, nor worries about tomorrow. Not even fundamentalists on Twitter can separate us from God's love. The Bible. Happy pride, you're loved. To which I responded, notice how apostasy twists scripture. Glorious text of Romans 8 speaks of the law court of heaven, the glory of atonement and justification, but JM's version has removed these troubling aspects so that love of self and sin can remain. I don't tend to be overly flowery in my rebuttals of an apostate, because that's what he is. Now, you know, I don't know a whole lot about his life. I know that his daddy was president of Southern Baptist Convention at one point. So, my assumption is probably baptized 2.74 times, because that's the average number I last saw for a Southern Baptist— so you get baptized as a little kid, you get baptized as a teenager, and you get baptized as an adult, maybe. The adult one is the third one that maybe, maybe not, we'll see. Uh, that's where it's 2.75 so full three. Um, but his leftward trajectory has been very obvious for a very lengthy period of time. And when someone who was raised within... A very conservative Southern Baptist context. When they had left, they they tend to leave scorched earth behind them. So you may have seen articles recently that he wrote where he just ripped into uh, his Southern Baptist heritage, uh, very very personally, uh, going after people uh, that that he knows and that he is basically just trying to hurt uh, is is basically what what you've got going on there um, so uh trying to bring up I thought I had I thought I had one other of his um, yes, yes here it is I know it was, I wonder why I did it that way um, wanted to show this one too. Ravon Tarsa had, uh, so I guess he's at Good Shepherd, New York. And Ravon Tarsa had said, sexuality does not define identity. And his response, you define yourself in your bio as wife and mom. Why is it only okay for straight people to embrace the pieces of their identities that derive from relationship and marriage? Your golden rule is tarnishing. So, it seems to me that he's really becoming more of an apologist for homosexuality all the time. Um, I, I'm not sure if his book has come out. a book has been expected where he was going to probably just announce that he is a homosexual. That's what everyone has been saying for a decade, at least. Um, but... Uh, Notice, you define yourself as wife and mom. I did respond to this. I guess I didn't keep the response, but I responded to this. I said, that's because God defines what wives and moms are. It's a part of his creative decree. And he says those things are good. He established marriage between a man and a woman. And nobody was confused by what Jesus said when he said a man and a woman. The question is, why is Jonathan Merritt confused about what Jesus said when he said, Man and woman, as he did in Matthew chapter nineteen. But I'll I'll admit I've never fully comprehended why apostates maintain religiosity. I've never understood that. I I much rather I understand these guys that over the past number of years you know, there have been these famous apostasies people leaving the faith, and they were singers or whatever. And then fairly quickly, it's just <whistles> way off into, again, the, the, the gay pride marching thing. That's how you show your, I'm with the world. I hate Christianity. Is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promote what I know is completely opposite to what I used to believe. And so I can understand when someone just you know, throws it all away and says, forget it, enough. Um, But I've never fully understood why people try to hold on to some level of religiosity. But they do. And they will use, you know, your golden rule is tarnishing. No, it's not. No, it's not. At least not for anybody who thinks, as adults you're supposed to think in categories, but I realize that is... That may be identified by the Supreme Court very soon as something we cannot ever do. Again, uh, it's it's getting it's getting bad and ugly out there folks. It, it really does. Uh, it really is. Uh, let me just mention this one since it's there. Um, you heard yesterday vote five to four Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. voting with the courts four member. I'm going to use the term leftist wing. But not adopting his reasoning, the chief justice said respect for precedent compelled him to vote with the majority. This was the Louisiana uh, abortion thing where, shockingly, shockingly, it was just such a terrible law. It said that if you're going to murder babies in the womb, that you have to have admitting privileges in a hospital. Because sometimes that goes really, really wrong. And so you need to be able to get a woman into a hospital lest she die. Oh, we can't have that. No, that's a restriction on abortion. And I don't know about any of the rest of you, but most of the most damaging jurists on the Supreme Court were those that were put there by Republicans thinking there was something other than what they really are. I know. Oh, I'm, I'm well aware of that. Uh, John G. Roberts, people assumed some kind of conservative voice and clearly not. Uh, clearly not. Uh, so everybody was running around going, man, we're going to be able to get rid of Roe v. Wade in a, in the wrong way of doing things. Well, no, no, you're not. Sorry. Uh, even with four more years, um, which would be four years of what we've been seeing over the past few weeks. I, I think that's probably what's going to end up determining it, honestly. But even four more years, you're you're still going to end up with with that. Okay. Um, real quickly here, uh, I I I don't know if I, I I can't zoom into that. Oh yes, I can. All right. So can you? We don't what was this about? I can't. Oh. That's that didn't do much. Um that's I nobody can see that. Um I don't know where this meme came from, but I'm going, Yay! And Rich is going, yay. And it looks like we just scored something, but none of us remembers <laughs> what it was. <laughs> and, and this is recent. This is within the past couple months. And so Reformed James White Memes for 16A19s was putting up a caption contest, and I guess little Ellie Mae uh, uh, put this one up. When the audience finally understands your explanation of CBGM. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, actually, there was a paper just recently released critiquing CBGM that I, did, I really need you, to be did diving into. Did you see into. that I
1: won one, too? What? I, I won one of those, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't remember what yours was, though. Oh, you should. Oh, my goodness. A new taco time.
0: Oh, that's right. New taco time. That's right. <laughs> so there are three winners. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I don't know if any of you saw this. I'm not playing the video. Um, And if I was an intelligent person, I would not even talk about this. But I'm. since nobody else wants to talk about it, and since a number of my black brothers have talked about it, I'll talk about it too. I don't know if you saw this video, but the video starts, which makes me wonder about it, with this guy coming up behind this manager or employee or something at a department store. The story that's now been told is that the black man asked about a the size of a jacket or something. And then walked off and the employee who's masked there on the ground, um, got on his phone. And according to the black guy, uh, said it wasn't any, anybody, just some N word. Now what's amazing is if you listen to the video and you listen to the audio, the black guy is screaming the N word at the white guy while he's beaten on him, but he comes up behind him. the guy's leaning up against like a clothes, a clothes rack type thing, and he's on his phone, and he sucker punches him from the back, so he's on the ground before he doesn't even you get hit like that. you have no earthly idea what in the world's going on, or why or anything else. So I'm looking at this this is a, a freeze frame. Well, the first things that I heard was that um, the guy who was beaten was trying to decide as to whether he was going to file charges. Now, if you've watched this, then you know this guy walks up behind him, sucker punches him, and then continues to just simply wail on him. And he's trying to decide whether he wants to file charges. You know why he's trying to decide whether he wants to file charges? Because right now, in our society, there is tremendous racial inequity. And it's going the opposite way of what's being said. He's being told he's guilty. He has white guilt. He's the bad guy. He's the evil one standing there on his cell phone. How dare you be staying on your cell phone? And, of course, he denies he ever said any of those things. The guy he was talking to on the phone says he never said anything like that, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And so he's actually... And so I guess he has now decided to go ahead. Because uh, I got this from a, a story on Discern um, that... that um, felony assault charges are pending uh, against this guy uh, for for what he did. You notice anything else about the picture? The man's pants are around his thighs. And remember how the world came unglued three or four years ago when I posted a picture, a, a video, of a young black boy walking across the street with his pants around his thighs, flipping off the cops. How dare you? You racist, you horrible person. That's what kids like that grow up to be like. He still got his pants around his thighs. Now let me just stop and say something, and I am not going to apologize for this. I do not respect that. I will never respect that. It is disrespectful to everyone around you to moon them. You may think you've got the sexiest booty in the world. I don't care. It is abject disrespect for everyone around you to do that. And the fact that it's accepted within a group does not make it any less disrespectful. So... That is that is I don't even know how anybody argues that. How does anyone argue that? And yet, if you dare say it, oh, you're a racist. I've just decided if the first thing out of your mouth is you're a racist, I just recognize you are not yet adult enough to have a meaningful conversation. You're just not. You you are not thinking reasonably. You're not using your your brain. You're just not. And the violence that this man shows, that he engages in, that we have been watching, it's been all over the place. Did you see the, the video from New York City? Did you see that video from New York City where there are black kids running around, shooting at each other with guns? And here comes the cop car, and it just rolls on through because they've been told stand down you yeah and then and then the the one from uh, minneapolis um outside of a bar night before last is, is, is you know, and, and and people are in their cars going oh my goodness what do we do but they're just and there's there's they've they've gotten rid of their cops and, and, and And I have to admit, how would you like to be a social worker in Minneapolis right now (laughs) that just had your job description completely changed uh, to where you get called? You get the 911 calls now.
1: Did you see the meme now that's out with the two cops standing next to the tree and they're both kind of laughing? And the caption at the bottom is two cops watching a 280-pound insane naked guy trying to be talked out by a social worker?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's, that's, that's, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking at. But I'm going to tell you, I'm just telling you right here, right now. I can't tell you how many times I have heard black brothers. Did you, did you see that uh, pastor in Houston? Oh, man. There are a lot of sound-minded black pastors, black leaders... Black men who have been faithful to their wives and raised their children. And what do they say? Pull your pants up! They say it. I can't say it, but I have, and I don't care. Pull your pants up. They know it's connected to everything else. It's not just this, well, it's just one thing. It's just a style thing. No, it's not. It's a part of an entire worldview of abject disrespect toward everybody, including their parents, the people in their communities, and they're going to beat the snot out of people. How obvious does it have to be? It's so clear. But you can't talk about anything like that. Oh, you can't. No, 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 we can't. We can't talk about that. All right. What time is it? Oh, I've already gone past an hour. That's fine. One last thing. <sighs> oh, wait. There's more. Yes, I know. Um. <laughs> so I never did get this fella on. Um. And I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to find. Um this real quick i i apologize um i was we talked about doing it uh we we talked about having the protestant guy on and it just it just never happened i i don't know why uh it just it just didn't uh let me see if it's in my history here um i don't know why my history doesn't transfer over very well or maybe I may not have watched it on here. Yeah, I probably took it. Seven things. <laughs> seven things Catholic exorcists want you to know. No, that's <laughs> no, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, seven Catholic things. There you go. That's why it's not coming up. Seven Catholic things there it is some capturing christianity streamed one day ago um so this is remember i i forget how long ago it was Uh sorry um so this is um matt frad is the catholic um talking to the fellow from capturing christianity and like I said, we've never gotten around to actually having either of these guys on. We need to we need to do that. But it was sent to me and so I grabbed it. And I just want to respond to today, just one thing. The, the first thing they talked about, this is sort of a ecumenical ishy squishy thing, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and one of the comments I was going to make about the original, and I may have made now I think about it, about the original dialogue, was that the, the Roman Catholic representative um, seems to really want to place his statements in such a part of the spectrum as to minimize differences while not just becoming completely ishy-squishy Hindu-style <laughs> ecumenism where we're all just worshipping Vishnu or something. But in other words, he's trying to minimize some of the sharp edges um, that would have been, I think, more clearly seen back in my day when I first started engaging Catholic Answers in 1990 uh, in, in a debate. So it is interesting to look back over 30 years ago at the debates that I was having with Jerry Matatix and Patrick Madrid and, and uh, trying to have with Scott Hahn but never did um, Robertson Janis and others um, Jimmy Aiken and Tim Staples and the whole crew three decades ago and then listen to what is how it's handled now it's, it's a little different uh, to say the least, and it does make me wonder how those debates would have been different in the age of the internet, because realize I'm not even sure I had a pager when I did the first debate, um, let alone a, a cell phone or, you know, YouTube changes a lot, and it's going to be interesting when we don't have access to YouTube anymore. Um, you know, some platforms will help us to have something for a while, but uh, it's it's there's going to be even more changes coming in in the future. No toys about it. But anyway, it does make me wonder how things would have been different. Uh, what you know, what would have been brought up that wasn't brought up, and what would not be brought up today that was brought up then. That's especially with the Pope right now. that That's the big thing in dealing with Roman Catholic apologetics right now, is what do you do with your Pope? Um, that's that's really, really interesting. But, okay, so let's just, the the first thing they talked about was making the sign of the cross. Um, and again, the, the fundamentalist says this is just, you know, this is just terrible, horrible. I don't think it's any big deal. It's uh, obviously for people who've who have been raised in it to where it was something that they did that never had a true connection to the gospel. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked to new believers who came out of Roman Catholicism and they said the same thing to me over and over again. I never heard the gospel. I never heard about how to have peace with God. I never heard, it just wasn't there. It was about what we do, and it was about doing the religious symbols, and it was—I can understand for someone like that, that crossing yourself just as a reminder of something that's dead and empty. Um, I get that. I have to be careful, though, in a pastoral sense, because there are people— who were raised in sound churches but were never converted to where true gospel behavior to them is reprehensible because they did it, but they didn't have the heart of the matter. So, some people might say, well, you know, you should be willing to get rid of those things to try to minister to those. People. No, no, y- you have to look at the heart. And on the issue of crossing yourself, I, it's, it's not a hill to die on. It's uh, not a big thing. The second point, though, important. That's why I wanted to interact with it when we had time on the program today. So let's, let's listen to what oh, – oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Let's listen to what the, uh, the second point of uh, discussion was.
3: The second thing I think Protestants shouldn't be afraid of doing. Obviously, Catholics have a big devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Obviously, Catholics believe things about Mary that Protestants don't, uh, that she was immaculately conceived, that she was a perpetual virgin, that she's the mother of God, that she ascended into uh, – assumed – she was assumed into heaven.
0: Yeah, ascended. Um, oops. Yeah, because <laughs> that, that, that's the whole point. Well, the bodily assumption is a direct parallel to the ascension of Jesus, and that's that's one that's, that's... – and, of course, totally unknown in the early church. So. Let's not go there for the moment. Um, I just realized that guy's wearing a a Bob Ross t-shirt. Bob Ross shirt. That's interesting. You can see it on his uh, shoulder there. Uh, Anyhow, um, (laughs) yeah, see it? See Bob Ross over there? You thought that was a pretty. You thought that was a a happy little tree? It's not a happy little tree. It's uh, it's Bob Ross. Um, So he's wearing a Bob Ross. There's a a number of Bob Rosses hiding there. So that's that's interesting. Um, Anyway, but did you catch what was said? That 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 we don't believe. That Mary is Theotokos. Well, he may uh, honestly think that's the case, and if that's the, if that's so, then he just doesn't know a lot about Orthodox, non-Roman Catholic beliefs. I have met many a Protestant um, who would have given him that that understanding, who would have said, "Oh, I, I don't believe that Mary is the Mother of God." And this is where, again, church history. And a meaningful grasp of theology is extremely important. This is especially true when looking at what, uh, what Rome teaches as dogma, not as merely doctrine, not as something, oh, we wish you believed this. Read the decrees pronouncing the Immaculate Conception and the bodily Assumption. You're, you're talking less than 200 years for, for both of them, so they are very recent. Read the decrees. The decrees do not say, we think it would be better if you believe this. The decrees anathematize, put under the curse of God, anyone who would even think to disagree with the dogma that has been revealed by the Holy Roman Church. And the reality is that the term Theotokos was a Christological term when it first appears in history. That is, the focus was upon who was Jesus. When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, was he Theotokos or only Christotokos? Now, I've mentioned a number of times before, there's a great deal of uh, argumentation amongst church historians about one of the primary individuals involved in this controversy who fell by the name of Nestorius. A lot of modern historians would say that Nestorius probably was not a (laughs) Nestorian in the later definition of Nestorian that was developed over time. Um, But to to simplify it as much as possible, Theotokos, which is translated mother of God, but literally means God-bearer, is simply the assertion that Jesus was truly God at the time of his birth, that he is not adopted at a point later in time, adoptionism and early heresy of the church. And it's also a means of affirming what's called the hypostatic union. And I just realized I forgot to grab that. um, I'll see if I can find it real quickly when we're done with this. But the the hypostatic union, uh, the fact that in the one person of Christ, you have two natures. And those two natures are united, but not intermixed. So you don't have Eutychianism, uh, where you, you take out a part of one nature, replace it with the other. You don't have Nestorianism, where they're torn apart. Uh, and I'm sorry, um, Apollinarianism. And you know, uh, uh, This was the Apollinarian, Nestorian, and then Eutychianism, mixture of the two where you have 50% man 50% god you have a demigod demi man however you want to describe the hypostatic union balancing the divine truths we find in scripture calling mary theotokos guards this it's not about mary it doesn't exalt mary it doesn't make mary some intercessor that all comes later that and and i fully understand why a former Roman Catholic now a believer in Jesus Christ and trusting in his grace doesn't want to use that terminology because it's just constant within Rome Mary referred to as the mother of God as the object of prayer as the object of hyperdulia now they're going to bring this up and the Protestant guy doesn't push back but um the whole distinction made within Roman Catholicism. We don't worship Mary. We give her hyperdulia. How many people have any idea what in the world that's supposed to mean? The reality is, go back, nothing has changed in the past 30 years. When I've done debates on the subject of Mary, the issue of dulia and latria has been rather fully discussed. In fact, it was fully discussed by John Calvin at the time of the Reformation, and has been pretty much every generation since then, up until our generation, where no one really seems seems to care about it anymore. But the distinction that Rome uses in saying, oh, we're not worshipping Mary, because we're not giving her Latria. We're giving her Hyperdulia. Um, Oh... It's available on Kindle, um, and it, and it's also available in um, PC Study Bible. I think PC. I'm not sure if that's even still around, but PC Study. I thought PC Study Bible had this at one point. I I, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, my little book, Mary Another Redeemer, 1999, I think it was. Um, yeah, 98 actually. Um, Oh, dedicated to Rick Walston. Look at that. Um, 1998. There are so many things that I could read here. Um, But I I guess I'll just reread the the beginning, because I've I've told the story many times before. A small booklet tucked in the fold of a chair in the corner caught my eye. It was sticking out just enough, or I may not have even seen it. Intrigued, I pulled it out. The blue and white cover bore the title, Devotions in Honor of Our Mother of Perpetual Help. And I scanned through a few of the prayers. In one of them, I spotted the words, My Eternal Salvation. So I backed up and started from the beginning. Now, by the way, this, I didn't tell the background of this. I was a hospital chaplain. I, w- I walk into the chap- the little chapel that we had, and I saw this book stuck into, the, into one of the chairs in the chapel. And that's why I still got it today. I could go into the room and get it. I, I know where it is. And so I backed up and started from the beginning. Here's what it said. O mother of perpetual help, thou art the dispenser of all the goods which God grants to us, miserable sinners. And for this reason he has made thee so powerful, so rich, and so bountiful, that thou mayest help us in our misery. Thou art the advocate of the most wretched and abandoned sinners who have recourse to thee. Come then to my help, dearest mother, for I recommend myself to thee. In thy hands I place my eternal salvation, and to thee do I entrust my soul. Count me among thy most devoted servants. Take me under thy protection, and it is enough for me. For if thou protect me, dear mother, I fear nothing, not from my sins, because thou wilt obtain for me the pardon of them, nor from the devils, because thou art more powerful than all hell together, nor even from Jesus, my judge himself, because by one prayer from thee he will be appeased. But one thing I fear, that in the hour of temptation I may neglect to call on thee, and thus perish miserably. Obtain from me then the pardon of my sins, love for Jesus, final perseverance, and the grace always to have recourse to thee, O mother of perpetual help. Let me just continue reading this. At first, I could not believe what I had just read, so I ran back to the last few lines. Was this prayer really saying that the petitioner did not fear his or her sins, the devil's, nor Jesus? That's what it said. I shook my head in disbelief. A few years later, I found myself on a radio station in Boston, Massachusetts, doing a radio discussion with a former Protestant-turned-Roman Catholic named Jerry Meditics. The topic was Mary and the Saints. Mr. Matics and I were scheduled to do two public debates at Boston College over the course of the next week, which, of course, we did. But that day, we were live on the air, taking calls on the subject of prayers to Mary and the Saints. As I packed up for the trip, I found the little blue and white booklet and decided to bring it along. Now I reached into my bag and brought it out. Surely quoting this prayer would bring a strong reaction from Mr. Madtix. Surely he denied that such a prayer is proper, and that the people who had written it were simply going overboard in their piety. The talk show host gasped involuntarily as I read the final lines. And as I put down the booket, book, booklet, I looked across to my opponent, waiting for the expected reaction. The host, likewise, turned to Mr. Matatix. He was quiet for a moment, and then he spoke. Mr. White, he began, I can only hope that someday you, too, will pray
1: that prayer. I think it's on sermon audio, isn't it? Are you looking? So, it's uh, you're thinking... Um... PC Study Bible?
0: No, oh no, no. I'm sorry. The uh, the thing with Jerry on W E Z E.
1: Oh, I I don't know that we ever got a copy. Oh, we did. It how how,
0: how could I have quoted it? We it, did. Yeah, it, I'm pretty it sure. It might
1: be, yeah. 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 Uh, but um, PC Study Bible, by the way, apparently has become BibleSoft. Oh, and BibleSoft has six of your titles, including that one. Oh, cool. So,
0: all right. Sense. Well, need to know that. Um, I hadn't gotten any communication about that, but that's cool. Biblesoft. All right, so has Mary another Redeemer? And it, it is on Kindle, I think. Yeah. Yes, okay. All right, so. All right. all right, so. The claim that Mary is not worshipped. I don't have it in here right now. At least I don't think I do. Um, no. All I, All I ask you to do go pick up a copy of a book called The Glories of Mary. The Glories of Mary. Um, It's by a doctor of the church. I quoted... um, How many... If you get this, it's... uh, page... uh, It starts in... uh, Chapter 7. Is a discussion of the issue of Latria, Dulia... um, all the rest of that stuff, and then I start quoting from St. Alphonsus Liguri. Liguri's The Glories of Mary. Um, Liguri was designated a doctor of the church, a title given to those who have provided a special type of guidance to the church and who have shown special insight into God's truth. His book has gone through 800 editions in many languages. That was 20 years ago. I don't know how many it's now. Obviously, if this book contains radical teachings, the Church would have an obligation not only to avoid canonizing him as a saint and calling him a doctor of the Church, but to warn the faithful again about the dangers lurking within his writings. Obviously, no such warning will be found. In fact, it becomes clear as we read the following material that this kind of piety is in reality the source of the later dogmatic definitions concerning Mary. And it is. It is. So... Not only is there no meaningful distinction between latria and dulia, biblically speaking. Latria and dulia are Latin terms, but they are derived from biblical uh, categories. The the Hebrew term ahav can be translated as both worship or serve. So, dulia is normally service. Latria is worship. But the two concepts are deeply related, and I just, again, refer you to what Calvin said. Um, on that particular issue he did an excellent job so this issue of mary most protestants have no earthly idea what roman catholicism officially teaches about mary um what roman catholicism teaches about mary is
3: dangerous you don't have to believe those things in order to begin to contemplate her greatness right? Um, And I think sometimes there might be a fear on the part of Protestants that if I start talking about Mary with any sort of kind of degree of wonder, uh, that that maybe this will sound too Catholic. And so I want to avoid doing that because I don't want to be accused of sounding Catholic. But I think one thing that Protestants can do is they can call Mary Blessed Mary, because in Luke chapter one, verse 48, Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. And since you, dear viewer, are part of a generation that is encompassed by the all generations. You could call her blessed, and I, you shouldn't be afraid to think about the the wonder that is Mary. Saint Augustine, you know, in the four hundreds, said, uh, "He whom talking about Christ." I'm sure this came from the Manicheans. Um, uh, you know, just, just bring in some other <laughs> some other theories while we're at it. Second person. Of the Blessed Trinity, he whom the heavens cannot contain. In fact, that's what Solomon said. You know, who am I to build a temple when even the highest heavens cannot contain him? So Augustine says, he whom the heavens cannot contain, the womb of one woman bore. She ruled our ruler. She gave milk to our bread. She carried him in whom we are. So just to reflect on the fact that there was a Jewish woman who breastfed God. Uh, who gave flesh to God, because this is something God chose. That's a really powerful thing and something worth contemplating on, even if you're not ready to accept what else the Catholic Church teaches about Mary.
0: Now remember, but the Catholic Church does not give you the freedom to continue disbelieving these things. Uh, Okay, this sounds like, because see, Augustine and many other early writers wrote about the wonder of the Incarnation. And the wonder of the Incarnation is tremendous. But the wonder of the Incarnation is focused upon who Jesus was. Not with the result that you would turn to Mary to save your soul at your death. Okay? I mean, um, I, I I don't want to... Uh, I do want to find the... Uh, uh, the discussion of Mary as a hope. But but Mary is described by Liguri and, and popes have, have quoted from Liguri repeatedly since he wrote. John Paul II was... John Paul II's personal papal motto was totus tuum, totally yours, addressed to Mary, not to God. So, uh, when Mary is described as the head I'm sorry, as the neck that turns the head of God so that all grace flows through her as the neck, from the head through the neck, out to others. All grace throws, flows through Mary. Um, there's many more. I've, we've done programs in the past. If I just started reading, we'd we'd be here the rest of the afternoon. I don't want to do that. But this idea that, you know, just just what is he's, he's trying to do is just you just start thinking about this and see the idea the idea for the Roman Catholic apologist is i'm probably he's probably talking to people who are very low church they don't have any meaningful appreciation of the supper uh, may only be may, may only be celebrated once a quarter in their churches um don't really have any appreciation of baptism don't have any knowledge of the additions that Rome has made to the sacraments uh, aside from what Jesus actually gave to his church have added and expanded these things and most Protestants today have no meaningful knowledge whatsoever of Roman Catholic soteriology what the meaning of alter Christus means what, what confession to a priest means what allegedly happens in transubstantiation in the mass as a Propitiatory but non bloody uh, sacrifice of Jesus, a representation of the one sacrifice of Christ, etc. This is just not stuff that's preached on any longer, defined in any meaningful fashion. Now, those of us who go to confessional churches, we we should know about this kind of stuff because our confessions are written in such a fashion that we deny these things. If you if you're a Reformed Baptist and you read the chapter on the Lord's Supper, you can't help but learn something about what Rome teaches in its denials of what Rome teaches over against the truth of what Scripture teaches. So it seems to me that our Roman Catholic friend here is just trying to say, you know, stick your toes on in. It's just fine because no one knows there's alligators down there. you are just going to chomp the suckers right off once you dive in. Uh, with everything else that Rome demands that you actually believe, based upon her dogmatic teaching that she and she alone has the authority to interpret Scripture, because Scripture is a subset of sacred tradition, and she is the infallible Church has that authority. Now that's a real tough argument to make right now with the Pope that you currently have. It's a real tough argument, but that's the argument that's been made for a long, long time. And that's still the Roman Catholic argument. it just has to be nuanced big time right now with um with Frankie the the dude
4: yeah so i I on the subject of Mary, I think you're right that Protestants and Catholics have a lot of different views on this there's there's a lot of things that that Protestants don't necessarily commit themselves to by being a Protestant but with when it comes to calling Mary blessed, I think that that is appropriate. I think that you can do that. It's even as you said it's mentioned in Luke 148. So
0: a, a Protestant just remember Rome has taken every single verse about Mary that can even be stretched to be made to apply to Mary and built entire skyscrapers of dogmatic theology upon verses that never intended to communicate anything like that. So Mary is blessed But Rome has taken that blessed and made her immaculately conceived and sinless, both before her birth as well as throughout her life, so that she then can be bodily assumed into heaven and act as a co mediatrix and co redemptrix. Yeah, I know those weren't dogmatized yet, but they have been taught as doctrine, not as dogma. Doctrine is a lower level. Hasn't come up to here yet, but that fifth Marian uh, dogma, millions of Roman Catholics believe it, popes have taught it for over 150 years, that she's co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix with Jesus Christ. So the idea is, well, just go ahead and start talking about Mary as Blessed Mary. There's 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 a freight train waiting on the other side of that door, a freight train, and it's coming at you that's that's the whole issue i can absolutely do that i think that we just have to be
4: careful to attribute properties to her that you believe she has so if you're a protestant and you believe that she was what's the term that she had virginity yeah perpetual virginity perpetual virginity if you think she had that property then there's no nothing wrong with saying she had this property she she had perpetual virginity
0: if you believe that so to me which is a dogma that anathematizes you and separates you from the one true church if you reject it. Just just so that we... I know this dogma thing isn't really popular amongst a lot of people today, but you can't read Roman Catholic history and not recognize that's exactly what has been taught with clarity. With clarity. And realize the perpetual virginity of Mary is a fundamental denial of the Incarnation. You go, how? Jesus didn't just beam out of Mary... Look look back we had a discussion of this when I read the Protevangelium of James. Remember we did story time with Uncle Jimmy for a while. I read the whole Protevangelium of James and that's where this came from. The concept of perpetual virginity of Mary came from gnosticism. It it came from heretical sources. It does not come from scripture, does not come from the apostles, but has now been made dogma. That's what happens when you deny sola scripturae. That that's that's the whole issue right there. Is that Mary maintained her virginal, her physical, virginal reality, even through the birth of Jesus. That means Jesus beamed out. You can't have a baby and have virginal, have everything intact. Not possible, not physically possible. So a miracle took place and Jesus beams out. So much. I mean, that fits within Gnosticism because Jesus doesn't have a physical body in the first place. Gnosticism, that's fine. But that's where it came from. Honest historians recognize that's where it came from. And yet it's a dogma. Why do they believe it's dogma? Because Rome says so. Because Rome, sola ecclesia, the ultimate authority of the church. Denial of sola scriptura. Yeah, I, I think it really just comes down to, like, what do you think is true
4: about Mary? And then you can say that that's true about Mary. And, like, what's controversial about that? I don't
3: really see, yeah. I don't I, really see I, how I, you could I, object I'm to really that. trying to make these as non-controversial as possible.
0: <laughs> uh, just, just read the actual papal pronouncements. Read them. Read the anathemas attached to them from the Pope. Um, it's it's just like I just uh, try to make these. Uh,
3: okay, right, Sorry, you know. If you believe nothing about Mary, uh, yeah. If you don't think she's blessed, yeah. If you don't, if you like, let's say you don't think she was, you think she was a big sinner, which I don't. If you think that she, you know, wasn't assumed into heaven, if you don't think she was perpetually a virgin, even if you disagree with everything the Church teaches, uh, the Catholic Church teaches, you do believe that the second person of the Blessed Trinity took flesh in her womb. So, if somebody were to say historians have discovered the very place where Christ became incarnate. Well, we already know what that is. It's the womb of the Theotokos. It's the womb of Mary. And that's really cool. And so, to, and, and I, think, I think it's okay to, to recognize that, to be like... That is a
0: fundamental Christian belief. That is not basis for anything I just read to you. That is not a basis to deny the plain biblical teaching. And go watch the videos. I've debated Jerry Mattetix on this multiple times, Robert St. Janus, a number of other people. On the fact that the Bible teaches Jesus had brothers and sisters. They were not just creepy cousins that were just traveled around with his mom, um, which is one of the theories that people have come up with. The reality is that Rome has taken the this area and has built entire mountains of theology on passages that never, ever, ever... The, the, the angel's greeting, Blessed are you. Blessed are you amongst women oh, that blessed means this, and this means this, and we can build that into that and everything else. It becomes what you read in the glories of Mary. And it started by denial of Sola Scriptura. Yeah, Mary was in a very unique position that no one else
4: was in. Yep. No, no one else will probably ever be in again.
0: Yep. And it's okay. well, Yeah, the Incarnation is a pretty unique event. But the biblical emphasis upon the Incarnation is never upon... The passive instrument, but upon the one who entered into flesh.
3: It'll recognize that. And I think sometimes that I, I totally, I think, not totally, but I do understand the hesitation Protestants have when they look at Catholics and they've got these candles lit before Mary and it looks to them what they would consider worship. And yep. They're idolatry. They're, they're so afraid that we are, yeah, uh, idolatry, that we're worshiping Mary. Yep. But Catholics don't worship Mary. Uh, Catholic Church has never taught that Mary is divine. Mary is a human being. She is less than an atom. She's nothing compared to he who is. You know, all of her virtue she receives from God. Um, so God had no need of Mary, nor does he now. Uh, but he chose to have need of her in a sort of relative sense, which is pretty pretty remarkable. So, just- so, so again, uh,
0: I, I could... Make that sound really silly, just by just starting to read. Uh, okay, just um, just happen to open it up. I'll just read one section. Just, one just just popped open the book and let's just. <clears throat> and then he adds that when the mother goes to seek a favor for us from Jesus Christ, whom the saint calls the golden altar of mercy at which sinners obtain pardon, her son esteems her prayers so greatly. And is so desirous to satisfy her that when she prays, it seems as if she rather commanded than prayed and was rather a queen than a handmaid. At the command of Mary, all obey even God. Saint Bernardine fears not to utter this sentence, meaning indeed to say that God grants the prayers of Mary as if they were commands. Yes, Mary is omnipotent, repeats Richard of Saint Lawrence, for the queen by every law enjoys the same privileges as the king. And as he adds, the power of the son and that of the mother is the same. A mother is made omnipotent by an omnipotent son. And thus says St. Antoninus, God has placed the whole church not only under the patronage, but even under the dominion of Mary. Doctor of the church, 800 editions, saint. This guy is not a doctor of anything. Who do you believe? Who has influenced the very development of dogma itself? Why did, why did now St. John Paul believe that Mary was co-redemptrix? Use that very terminology himself. It comes from this very same stuff. Very same stuff. All right, I've gone long. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. But I, something tells me there's a whole lot more in this, so I'm going to be taking a look at it. Um, and I know we've got to finish up the Wilson stuff and 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 stuff like that. I sort of burned out on it for a while. to Be honest with you, everything you could do the two together. Okay, I'm really confused now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we could find something. Accuse uh, everybody of it. Why not? Uh, but look, the reality is uh, that there has been so. Much going on, and there continues to be so much going on right now in our world that requires some level of of commentary. Um, that it's 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 hard to you're watching stuff and just going, really, what on earth um, is is going on in our world? And every day you just go, what what how how much crazier can it get? I mean, seriously, taking—well, I'm,
1: I'm not going to go there. Uh, what? Have you heard the new one of, of what's coming for July? So the—I uh, guess in Florida, they're complaining about uh, dumping narcotics into the, the water system, flushing them down the toilet. Now they're warning of drug-addicted alligators. So oh, July— that's, that's, not, that's not new. Oh,
0: it's not? Oh, no, oh. I've heard about that for a long okay. time. I
1: just saw that first time today. So July no. is going to be drug-addicted al- alligators.
0: No, that along that with the me. murder no. points. No, so now 2020 is just 2020. Um, it really, really is. Like I said on the last program, they're turning into a, into a verb now. Let's not let's not go full 2020. You know, um, it it is. Nobody <laughs> didn't see this one coming. Didn't see this going come. We went a little long today, but appreciate uh, your listening. We will uh, be back, Lord willing, tomorrow. And I'll get to the one thing that I forgot to do. In fact, I need to make sure to put that into my, my list uh, to be done. There was one item I skipped, uh, but we will get to it uh, tomorrow. And who knows? Maybe open the phones. We'll see what develops. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. God bless.